Hi and hello, Watch fans, and welcome to another edition of The Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighborhood watchmaker, Rob Nutz. I'm joined today by my co-host, Alan Ben-Joseph, pulling in from Amsterdam as usual, and a very special guest to kick off the interview portion of our show. That's right, today we welcome the one, the very much only, the force of nature that is, Mr. Jean-Claude Biver. Welcome to the show. Hello, Rob. Thank you very much for your welcome. Alon, would you mind giving any of our listeners that haven't already heard of Mr. Biver a roundup of his career thus far? Definitely. It would be very rare if you haven't heard of Jean-Claude Biver. We call him the godfather of the Swiss watchmaking industry. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, Jean-Claude, but you've started off at uh, Frédéric Piquet Watch Caliber Maker, went to Adomar Piquet, went to Omega, acquired Blancpain. That got bought by the Swatch Group, made you go back to the Swatch Group and Omega on the board. From there on, you went to Hublot. Hublot, CEO Tag Heuer, plus chairman of the watchmaking group within LVMH. Left there, pulled a Michael Jordan on us, saying you're retiring, and then you're back with a vengeance, where you are promoting the whole industry. You are starting with your dear Saint Pierre, a new brand, JC Beaver, which is about to be launched. Uh, you advise Norcan, etc., etc. You're pumping energy into the watch industry. You graced us by being the first on the show here, which we're very humbled. I want to thank you for that. Thank you for this nice introduction. Did I miss anything, Jean Claude? No, 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 no. Uh, I'm even impressed when I hear all that. Well, of course, it does sound like quite a lot to mere mortals, but you've been in this industry for a lot longer than most people enjoy any kind of career. How long has it been now? (laughs) Next year, it will be 50 years that I have entered this industry. Amazing. So now it's the 49th year that I'm passionate that I'm working in this industry. And you might understand why I cannot leave it. You know, you can leave a job you can leave a hierarchy position. You you can, but a passion. You can never retire from a passion because passion is what makes your life. That what is you know that's why your heart is ticking, and without a heart you cannot live, and without passion it's the same. Without passion there is no life. There is no fun. There is no emotion. There is nothing, and that is why uh, when people ask me, how come you didn't retire, you are now in your 74th year in the, uh, and uh, in the 50th year of your, of your uh, passion, why don't you retire? And I say always, please, if I have to retire, I prefer to die. Because to live without my passion means for me death. And, and, and that's why I am still here. And the second reason is that I want to give back when you have received so much like me during 49 years. Uh, I need to give back. I cannot die and taking all this knowledge, all these experiences, all these doubts, all this. A defeat, all these successes, I cannot take them with me. It would be dramatic. So I want to give back. I want to give back all my mistakes, all my failures, 
But at the same time, all my successes, all my doubts, all my ideas, uh, all my emotions, I have to give back. And that's the second reason why I'm still here, because I'm not finished to give back. Uh, so, number one, my passion is still alive. Number two, I still have to give back so much that I'm still here. Maybe I will retire when I'm 85 or 89 or 90. I don't know. Time will tell. But for the time being, at 74 years, uh, uh, I'm still young. I'm too young. I'm too much passionate. I, it would be a drama to retire. It would be, you know, it would be like going to a prison. I cannot live without my passion. And my passion is watchmaking. It would certainly be a great loss if you were to walk away while you still have a fire burning as bright as that. It is remarkable. I'm sitting here with a big smile all over my face because whenever I've heard you speak in the past and just like listening to you talk today, I have been completely wrapped and engaged. And it is no wonder that after almost half a century in the same industry, you're still going stronger than ever. But you talk about your successes and your failures, and we're all very accustomed to learning about those successes. But what do you think the biggest failure of your career is and what did you learn from that you know my my biggest failure is that i lost uh some courage when i was when i owned blampin in in 1989 and 1990 uh, i lost some courage uh because i had a very uh, powerful uh, failure uh, that was my divorce. I never thought I would divorce. Uh, and I cannot, uh, you know, it's it, it's a hypothesis with which I could never uh, play because I thought love is forever. And uh, suddenly uh, I had these personal problems with my wife. And uh, uh, when she left, I thought that my life was finished. I had no, I lost even my passion for a moment. And at that moment, I decided that I have to be responsible for my people because my 113 or 137, I don't remember exactly, 137 employees, they cannot be responsible and they cannot suffer because the big boss has a problem. Uh, the big boss should resolve the problem for himself and not harm the, uh, the 137 people. So I said the best way is to sell it to a very strong group and a very professional group, a group that is specialized in, in watches. That was in those days the Swatch Group. And I sold it to Mr. Hayek. And I sold my brand, I sold my, my people, I sold my soul, I sold my passion to uh, Hayek. Uh, thanks God it was Hayek who was a good guy, who understood what passion and what the industry means. But I sold my soul. And if that is not a failure, God damn, what do you call a failure? You should never sell your soul. You should never sell, sell your passion. You should never sell your life. You can sell anything, but not your passion, not your soul. So that is, for me, the biggest, the deepest, the most crazy mistake I ever made. 
But what you managed to do in the aftermath of that mistake, as you call it, but I think everyone could understand that kind of human situation you were going through, you've made not just the best of it, but some remarkable things and crafted an enormous legacy on the back of that. You know, my failure gave me courage because after three weeks after I sold, I realized how stupid I was and what the mistake I just did. And I, I felt responsible for my people. And I should, from then on, I should prove every day my people that eventually I have sold a company, but I have not sold my, my soul. And I have not sold my enthusiasm. And I have not sold my brand. Uh, and I will still be there. And I said to myself, now you have to start again. You have to prove to everybody that you are strong, that you are devoted, that you are passionate, that you care for people, that you give back. That has woken me up. And from that day on, I took 10 years. I became suddenly much more uh, clever, uh, uh, much more wise. Wisdom was growing. And that is, that is the positive side of my mistake. A mistake always brings you positivity and negativity. The problem is that very often people only see what is negative. But in a failure, you always have a little part of something positive. And the positivity to, for, for me was the fact that I became wise. Suddenly I became an adult because before I was still a child and, <laughs> and I couldn't bear a defeat. But that's wrong. What is the problem with a defeat? The defeat is positive when you know how to overcome it, when you know how to make it next time better and how not to repeat the mistake. Yeah, and so that is what I call uh, making mistakes is not a problem. The problem is if you repeat the mistake. Every mistake should, should be done only once, never twice. And the problem is many people repeat the same mistakes one, two, three times in a lifetime, even four or five. And that is the problem. And so... Thanks to the, my defeat, I became much wiser. I became an adult and I overcame my mistake. And I had a lot of, uh, 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 I was volunteer to prove to the people that even if I made a mistake by selling, I still worked and I still was positive for the people and for the brand. Have you ever made the same mistake twice in any part of your life? Uh, yes, in sport. <laughs> in sport, <laughs> uh, I did a few times the same mistake. Even now, you know, when I have an injury, I have to stop maybe three, four, five weeks uh, uh, and not run during five weeks. I always make this mistake. Number one, I start to train too early. <laughs> number two, I train too hard. <laughs> and number three, I, I eat too much. <laughs> but uh, uh, these mistakes of eating too much, being impatient, I'm very much impatient. 
I want time to, I want to, uh, uh, I want to beat a time, but you cannot beat time, you know, you can. Uh, so there are a few mistakes from my character, which I repeat because they are sitting in, in, my, in my body and I cannot get rid of them. But these are the simple mistakes. These are mistakes of my character and of my personality. But the big mistakes the, the, that uh, I don't think I ever repeated, the mistake of selling Blancpain, uh, and I learned a lot. Oh, thank God, thank God. So you are human as well. On some level, at least, you have the, you have the failings that we all have, and uh, eating too much is one of those I can definitely identify with. And considering you make five tons of cheese a year, I'm not surprised you find yourself tempted back to the dinner table once or twice. So tell me about the cheese. <laughs> tell me about the cheese, because you gave me a block once in 2015, because I attended the opening of uh, Hublot 2 factory in Neon when Pele was there. Do you remember that? Having Pele. Yes, I remember very well. That was cool. Of course. That was yes. really cool. And um, it was delicious. And I read somewhere that you you only make it, you make your batch once a year at a particular time of uh, flowering so that the cheese has a particularly... Yes, yes, taste. yes. We bring the cows up to the mountains uh, in the end of May or beginning of June for three months, June, July, August. They are going up to 1,200 1,500 meters uh, in the Alps. And we bring them up there because the grass they can eat is, is much softer. Mm. Uh, and uh, the taste is much better. And the air is, of course, also much better. And these cows, during three months, the milk they make is a milk that has a sweeter, a better taste than the milk they produce during the winter or a time or when they are uh, uh, down uh, in the, uh, not uh, when they come down from the mountains. So the three months up in the mountain is uh, is the period where we can make the best butter, the best milk, and of course the best uh, uh, cheese. And therefore the cheese coming from the summer period is very uh, appreciated by consumer, uh, is more difficult to buy because the production is only during three months, the summertime, June, July, August, and then it's finished. So the, uh, uh, that is the period where you can get the best milk, the best butter, the best cream, and the best cheese. I concur as well because I also had the honor to get this cheese. And as a Dutchman who loves cheese, it's superb. So I highly recommend to obtain this cheese. <laughs> send me a mail and ask my ask for my cheese, and I will send you one kilogram. <laughs> Thank you so much. Whoever sends me a mail asking for my cheese, I send him one kilo. You oh, are wow. a true gentleman, and we will obtain a kilo, Rob, and we will divide it again to our listeners when they email us. I think it's about time I signed up for a few more email addresses. I'm going to be sending about five or six of those, I think. That'll get me through the winter months. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, if I may, I just wanted to jump in. So... Jean-Claude, it is amazing that you don't stop. I'm super happy with that. I love to work with people that gained a lot of experience. And that's why I'm blessed to also, like Pierre, to be able to work with my father, who's 75 already. And you might not know this, but I've been 
your mentee indirectly because I've been following you ever since you went back to Omega. I was a kid. We were selling Omega. I've been following you through the years. I had the honor to work with you indirectly at Tag Heuer as well. Um, I have the honor to become a mentor today. And I use two of your things very regularly, which is the advice to youngsters entering the workforce, not to go work for the big names to pump up their CV, but go to small companies to be as close as possible to either the founder, owner, CEO, or the management Mm. team. That um, uh, advice I use actually very dearly. I also love your marketing uh, philosophy about the uh, product being the queen, the customer being the king. And as a marketeer, it's your task to marry them. You already dropped some gems of wisdom at the beginning of this episode without us even asking. My question to you, what's your advice today to youngsters entering the watch industry today? The first advice I would give is, of course, the young people have to learn to listen. Especially uh, uh, young guys coming from uh, uh, very famous universities or who have full of diplomas, they tend sometimes not to listen too much because they think they know. (laughs) And when you start thinking that you know, then you are close not to know. Uh, uh, because it's the diploma effect. As soon as you have a very brilliant, exclusive and extraordinary diploma, you behave, not everybody, but uh, many people start to behave differently. They start to get the impression that they know. And when you think you know, then you are in danger. Because uh, 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 before knowing, you must listen. And you must get experience. And the listening and the experience is something you cannot get with the diploma. In the diploma, something is missing. It's the faculty of listening and it's the faculty of uh, uh, asking yourself questions. Why? You know, and that is my first advice. Don't forget to listen to people. Don't forget to be curious. Ask yourself, how is this possible? And number three, you must register all this. And this is what I call the the, the, the experience. Um, uh, um, uh, and this experience is as important as what you have learned at the university. Because at the university, you learn theories. And if your theory can be enriched thanks to experience, then you have the double. You have the the experience and you have the knowledge. Wow, if you have experience and knowledge, then you are ready for the industry. Then you are ready for the success. Amazing. And I know you're an amazing mentor because I've actually met and worked with many of your mentees, of which two of my favorites are Philippe Roth and Julian Tourner, who's today the mm-hmm. CEO of Zenet, and he will be also a guest on our show, which I utterly love. My follow-up question is, how is it to work with your son today, where you guys are building up a new brand right now? It's exciting. It's exciting because my son is uh, the, the my youngest son is twenty two years old, and you know what? Uh, thanks to him, 
I learn every day something. And I learn much more from him uh, than I would learn from somebody that would be my age. Because people who are at my age, normally, they, they know what I know also. So I don't have the same uh, experience with the people of my age than with the younger people. And I'm very much attracted uh, by the young people because they are the voice of the future. They have the taste of the future. They have the mentality of the future. And if you sit every day with the mentality of the future, with the taste of the future, with the philosophy of the future, uh, with the, 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 with the future in itself, then you get rich, rich of future. And the older you are, the more you need future. If you are young, you don't need so much future because you are the future. And if you are the future, you even don't need, you even don't realize. But when you become old, you realize that the future is behind you. And when the future is behind you, you must turn and bring the future back to your, your future. And that is what I learn with my son, but not only with my son, that is what I learn with young people. That is the reason why I have always been so much attracted to bring young people on board. And uh, because it's the only way to stay, number one, young, and number two, it's the only way to still learn. And very often we see old people who cannot learn anymore because they think they know. And when you start thinking that you know, then you don't listen anymore. And then you, you, you become lazy and you say, no, I know. No, you don't know. Come on, now, we have, yeah, now you come and listen to me. I will explain you. That is what the young people are doing. And that is, that is why... I feel not a handicap that my son is with me. I feel it's a privilege. It's an asset. And that is a dream when you can work with your son and when you can admire your son and when you can learn from him. And that's what I do. I find this really interesting because you have tried a lot of different strategies to reinvigorate and restart brands throughout your career. For example, when you took on Blancpain, you made a big statement about there's never been a quartz Blancpain, there never will. Yes. And you look, yes. look back to look forwards. And that was like, why is in that moment at time? And then when you took over Hublot, you focused on the fusion of materials and this, this idea of like forward leaning, hyper technological watchmaking. And that at that time worked very well. What is it now that the youth, the youth of today, listen to me, geez, I'm, I'm only 37. The youth of today, this, this younger millennial generation, what is it they seem to be more interested in? Are they more interested in timeless classics and the old ways of watchmaking? Or are they still obsessed with technology? Or is it a mixture of both and just the way we communicate it that changes? I think it's a mixture of both because it's, it, uh, it's a mixture of both because both uh, um, uh, approaches have a lot of PR. Uh, when, I, when I started, uh, PR was not so much about new materials, about uh, the new technology, uh, about uh, uh, new oil for the movements. Uh, 
so we uh, now today the PR uh, is playing a big role, and you have PR for collectors' watches uh, or for museum watches, and you have at the same time PR also for uh, um, um, uh, modernity, modern watches, and therefore I see more and more young people that are that have a double interest. They have interest in modern watches, yes. They might even wear an Apple Watch today. But tonight, when they go to opera, they can wear an, uh, a classic watch from 1949, for instance. The two are compatible. The two are not competing. How can an Apple Watch that is driven by, by electronic that is like a little computer on your wrist. How can this compete with a wonderful uh, uh, hand-winding uh, uh, watch from Omega from 1949? Impossible! The Omega is like, uh, it's, it's a standard, it, it, it is a, a piece of eternity, and the Apple Watch, as brilliant as it is, it has no eternity. It will maybe last 10 years. Yes, why not? But not eternity. In 50 years, your Apple Watch will be a piece just for the museum. But the watch you buy today from Omega or from Jago Lecoult or from uh, uh, Rolex, in 50 years, the value will have doubled, number one. And number two, the watch will still work. And that's the magic. And today... We have both world, both world. We have the world of fashion. We have the world of fun. We have the world of pieces that will just last for one, two, or five, or ten years. And we have the world of eternity. So our spectrum is very rich now because we go from the fun of a swatch watch uh, 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 to, the, to the admiration of a Patek Philippe watch. And that's great. That makes the rich. That makes the richness of and the interest of the watch industry. It's the variation, and we never had so much variation. You know, I, I thought it was very interesting when the Apple Watch first came to prominence, and a lot of traditional watch lovers were wringing their hands, panicking. Perhaps the Apple Watch was about to spell the end of luxury watchmaking and uh, finally drive the sword into the heart of the mechanical industry. And you, uh, an island of calm amidst the storm maybe, said, don't be ridiculous. This is a wonderful product because it will encourage young people to wear a watch in the first instance. It won't put them off watches. It will actually get them into watches. And I thought it was an interesting way to look at it because, to be quite frank, it makes perfect sense. If everybody were going to follow the argument that the Apple Watch was a dangerous thing, that would suggest that everybody that collects watches only has a collection of one piece. Of course, we wear different watches for different things. And I actually bought an Apple Watch not so long ago to try it out, and it didn't take the place of any of my watches because I didn't wear my Omega Speedmaster when I went running, or I didn't wear my uh, Rolex yeah. when I went swimming, for example. So it was, it was a, perfect, a perfect point, well made, with a lot of calmness. But my question is, do you own an Apple Watch? And if not, would you? No, I don't own uh, an Apple Watch. I own 10 Apple Watches. <laughs> <laughs> I don't own one. I own every one. And I'm now waiting for the very last one. Oh, the Ultra. Where you can, that you can use for sport. 
My wife ordered it. Uh, she's on a on a delivery uh, uh, note, uh, uh, but she she the watch has still not arrived. But I buy every new Apple Watch because I'm very much interested. And as you said, or as I always say, there is no competition. Right. Apple Watch cannot compete a traditional uh, hand-winding or automatic or tourbillon or chronograph. It's impossible. The Apple Watch, as brilliant as it is, my 10 uh, Apple Watches, one day... They will be useless. They will not be able. And now I tell you a story. I bought for my wife for her 60th birthday. I bought a Patek Philippe watch from 1911. 1911. 1911. And it was in the year 2011. So I said to her, I offer you for your 60th birthday a watch. That has, that is hundred years old, and I offer the, this watch to you because I, you look as young as the watch, and the watch was working perfectly. Now she wears it nearly every day. It's a fantastic Patek Philippe watch from 1911. 1911 wrist watch. Hand winding, and the watch works and works and works and works. How can you do that with an Apple Watch? It's impossible. In 50 years, you will find the batteries no more, that everything will have changed. Uh, so, uh, but the Patek Philippe from 1911 still works and works and works. You just have to wind it up every morning. And that, how can the two compete? This is impossible to compete. And I always say, eternity has no competition. And uh, mechanical wristwatches or pocket watches, uh, uh, if they are tourbillons, if they are minute repeaters, if they are perpetual calendar, whatever, they are in. The in the case of eternity, they cannot have competition from an Apple Watch. It's impossible. The Apple Watch is just uh, another watch that is great, that is nice, high quality, great sales, good turnover, blah, blah, blah. But it cannot compete. And the more you buy Apple Watches, the more you become uh, 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 watch sensitive. You get watch sensitivity, uh, and if you, the more you own watches, the more you will develop the desire one day to have a wonderful watch on your wrist and not anymore a computer. So the Apple Watch even gives somehow to the mechanical watches, uh, they promote it indirectly. Indirectly, it's a promotion for the high-quality uh, 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 manual or automatic watches. Amazing, amazing. And we all know that you are a big personal private collector and you've just proven that and you collect everything from Apple Watches to amazing antique Patek Philippe wristwatches, which you are a gentleman to gift that to your wonderful wife. Begs the question, what are you wearing today, Jean-Claude? I'm wearing today uh, an, a watch called Acrivia. Yes. And it comes from my good friend Recep, and Recep is a very, very good friend. 
and he is helping me to develop my own brand. And I'm wearing his watch, uh, uh, and I will wear it all the time till my own watch will come out uh, in March or April. Amazing. And we've agreed with you that we would not speak too much about your new brand, JC Biver, which you will grace us with another episode together with Pierre. May I ask you, besides your own personal watch, which is in development, do you have grill watches on your wish list as a collector? Of course, I have. <laughs> I have too many watches <laughs> on, on my wish list. Uh, I cannot afford them all. But uh, slowly, slowly, uh, I, you know, I, I just saw today uh, a new Patek Philippe with a new Salmon dial, uh, a wonderful watch. Uh, and I said to myself, God damn, I want to buy it. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. If I, if I, if I could buy all my desires, uh, uh, my life would not be so exciting. Because what excites me are, are, are things that you cannot buy immediately or that you cannot get immediately. And that makes the, the, char, the charm of, <laughs> of our industry today. Amazing. They, we are capable of doing extraordinary great pieces but we're not able to deliver which is great <laughs> because uh, luxury means exclusivity and luxury cannot be uh, uh, produced in millions of pieces that, that doesn't exist luxury is by definition something that is rare something that you cannot get easily something that you must suffer in order to get it or you must wait in order to get it And that's the charm of luxury. And if you don't understand this, then you, it means for me you don't understand luxury. I totally agree. In, Dutch, in old Dutch, we have a saying, the, den jacht is schoner than the fangs. So the hunt is more beautiful than the catch. Yeah, bravo, yes. So I have a question about uh, the evolving nature of luxury and, or at least the evolving perception of it because I totally agree with that definition and know exactly that feeling of pursuit. But... When it comes to luxury retail spaces, something Alon knows a lot about, what do you think the future is there? Do you think that the brick-and-mortar retailer networks that you've worked with over the last half a century are more important than ever, or do you think that things are moving in a different direction? No, I think uh, a retailer, uh, if they do the right job, which means they, they give instruction, they, they teach about the art, uh, they have a... a, a, a a very good or very exclusive collection for their customers. Uh, if they know how to treat uh, our industry, then I think we really need these uh, people because uh, 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 a retail shop is for me an ambassador. It's an ambassador. It, you know, a retail shop, the job he does for the industry is enormous. They teach every day to everybody who comes into the shop. Uh, uh, they show pieces. They explain pieces. Uh, they give service. They, these people are real ambassadors, and we need ambassadors. We not only need James Bond as an ambassador. We not only need Cindy Crawford as an ambassador. We also need the shop, uh, shop owner, uh, people working in the shops, They do the job of ambassadors. They teach. They are teachers. They are ambassadors. They bring motivation. They bring knowledge. God damn, these people are very important. 
Okay, you've dangled the carrot. I can't help but bite. James Bond, I want to know the story. How did you get an Omega on James Bond's wrist? Yeah, yeah I, I even don't know. <laughs> it was it was a fantastic time. You know, we, we got a... We, we, I must say, uh, it's one of the most successful uh, steps I ever did in my life. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, it was a period when nobody was too much interested in James Bond. It was a period where the family um, didn't know if they would go on or not, and there had been no James Bond and uh, uh, since uh, uh, the last presentation, and the new James Bond had a new actor, Piers Brosnan, uh, and uh, so there it was not, and brands were not so much interested, at least in the watches. And we took advantage of this period where everything was calm around James Bond, and uh, it had been five or four years since the last James Bond came out, so it was not so actual anymore. And nobody knew, ah, will Piers Brosnan be better uh, than the, 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 the other guy, uh, uh, Sean Connery? Uh, so there were doubts, uh, and it was not so much popular. And there were not so many watch brands uh, <laughs> coming uh, being uh, on the list to become a James Bond watch. So we took advantage of all this, like usual, you know, uh, uh, and we, 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 we got it for not so expensive, and we got it very, very nice. And, and one of the, my argument was, listen, guys, where if we get the James, if we get Piers Brosnan to wear, um, uh, as James Bond to wear an Omega watch, we will also advertise the watch. We will put ads in the Financial Times. We will put ads in the Herald Tribune. We will put ads all over the world. And we will help you to promote the film. We will help you to promote the story of James Bond. Uh, uh, and you will have a partner. We will not only put the watch on his wrist, and then sit down and, and wait till we get the return. No, we will do a real activation. We will do an activation of, uh, uh, of, the, the, of Piers Brosnan as James Bond. And we will put ads all over the world. And we will put ads in Japan, in China, in Russia, in America. All the world will be covered. And so we will be a real asset to you. We will be a partner to you. And that is what I want from you. I want partnership. I'm not interested just to put the watch on the wrist. That's not enough. I want to be a 100% partner. And they said, wow, we never heard such a story. That is great. And you know what? They gave us the contract for not too expensive. And we are still on the wrist of James Bond. Can you imagine? I think we started in 1995 or 1996, uh, something like that. And, and now it's, it's already 30, 40 years. It's a partnership that, has la that is lasting for more than 30 years. It's like our relationship with Cindy Crawford. Cindy Crawford came on board in 1995. 
So <laughs> it's it's all it's already nearly thirty years. In two years, it will be thirty years that Cindy came on board. I want to say, Jean Claude, that it's really your fruit and of your investment because which is amazing in marketing because you've just shown what a pioneer you are in marketing is that Cindy's children are now Omega ambassadors as well. Yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely giant. That has never happened before in marketing as far never. as I know. It has never happened before. Never. Amazing. And that's totally new. Nobody has ever done it. Exactly. And I want to jump on that bandwagon because I want to ask you now and I want to fuse two questions. Where do you think the watch industry is heading to? What do you think the main trends are for the coming years? Because it's very volatile times. Everything is in flux. Geopolitical, demographic, technology, luxury is changing. Consumers are changing. We're going from millennial Gen Z to generation alpha. Yes, but you know, as everything is changing, as you just said, as everything is moving, as new fashions are coming, we people, they need more than ever. We need stability. We need roots where we can stay. We need stability. Uh, uh, we need eternity. And where is eternity? Where is it now? And, and, and who, who represents eternity? Uh, you can say, okay, God. Yes, God is eternal. I know. But God is somebody that I cannot meet every day and I cannot see him every day. So where is eternity? And eternity is in the watch. Watches are the best eternal product. I'm talking now watches that are mechanical. A watch that works just with your energy. You wear the watch and it works an automatic. And if you have a manual, you wind it up and it works. You know, my father got a watch from in 1947 from my mother because they got married in 47. And before my father died, he said, my son, I want to give you my watch and take good care of it. This watch is from 1947 and your mother gave it to me when we got married. That was her present. I took the watch. I wandered up, boom, 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 and I looked at it, and the hands were moving. It was working. God damn, how many products can you take from 1947 <laughs> and they still work? That's phenomenal. And that is the strength now of our industry. We are producing eternity. And what people, what do people need? People need love people need eternity people need stability <laughs> and that's it and you know when I, when i said people need love what is love love is eternal <laughs> uh, stability stability is a way of eternity so we need eternity we need stability we finally we need love and once we have that okay we can take care of the other things but First, we need the basement, the basic positions, the basement, and the basement is called love. Boom, finished. Well, there you go. You can't say it any clearer than that. Love. Love is all you need. What a place to end. What a soundbite to remember from this show. Jean-Claude, it was an absolute pleasure to welcome you 
onto the Real Time Show. Thank you very much for your time. Guys, if you would like to reach out to us with questions, you can contact us at either at Rob Nuds, that's R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S, or at Alon Ben Joseph, that's A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H on Instagram. Or you can email us directly at rob at therealtime.show or alon at therealtime.show. We'll be back next week with the second part of our GPHG predictions in advance of the announcements, which are coming next week also on November the 10th. So make sure you tune into that. And don't forget to tell us what you think, where we went wrong, where we might have got it right, where we might have predicted the unusual winners or the shock losers. In the meantime, stay safe and keep on ticking. (laughs) 